make this uh, a, a, a place of protection, a holy hush of truth that would come through here as the Spirit of God moves. And Lord, that's not presumptuous. That's just yielded to your presence and your promise and having the expectation of your truth. Lord, I pray, please, God, and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I'm going to ask you really just kind of focus in with me this morning, but throughout history, Christianity, I believe, has evolved into religion in our churches and denominations. We've moved from Christianity into religion. Christianity is a belief, but I want you to understand this, but a belief that is real must create some form of action. Belief that takes life or is energized, listen, when belief takes life, when belief becomes energized, that's faith. You see, God says whatsoever is not of faith is sin, and God expects us not just to be believers, but be people of faith. And see, the difference is many people believe. Few people have faith. Faith is active. Faith says anything that you believe in, you're going to act upon. You see, you've seen me make a lot of decisions. You've seen me, I'll be honest with you, at times I feel like I may have uh, kind of not done justice to the church uh, over the last few months. And, And what you've seen is somebody who truly has faith in my family. You see, I don't just believe in the family structure. It's a faith. You see, faith moves me to action. Faith moves me to, to say, I've got to do whatever I've got to do. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't know how many years I have left, but, but if God tarries, my family hopefully has many more years. And if they'll continue on to serve God, I've got to be there to stand strong for them. True faith is energized belief. And this is the example that's presented in James 2.15. It says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and if one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be you warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? In essence, there's a mental gesture toward the need, but there's no physical act that justifies the mental gesture. And you know, look, there's churches again. Uh, they come from all the way over the north side of, of, of town to come to this little church here for our food bank. Forgive me, I, this is not condemnation, but they're passing by church after church after church. And we say we love the people. Why do we have the food bank? Is it somehow bringing us numbers? Is it somehow bringing us benefit? No, it's somehow a little testimony where a group of people say we will sacrifice that somebody else might have help. When someone walks in our door, in the door of this church, in need of food, I, I, I witness to them. 
Amy, if she's talking to them, she'll witness to them. Uh, we will pray with them, uh, and we'll pray for them. And, and that's wonderful, but if, if we then send them away without their need being met, what have we done? Now, you say, well, they, they may have gotten saved. Well, I'm talking about they need, these people, they're coming with a physical need and they're looking at our love and they're judging our love by the meeting of their physical need, not just their spiritual need. In the physical realm, there has been, if we don't, if we don't provide for them, the need has not been met, there's been no display of love. And if there uh, is no uh, desire or willingness to meet the need, then effectively there's been no love. They need the prayers, they need the gospel, but in this world, they need the food also. And they need to know that we as a church and as Christians understand and recognize that need and are willing to meet that need. And this is just an illustration, but but it's a perfect illustration because it it, it fits right in with the illustration that, that Jesus gave. Now, the confusion of the book of James is verse 12. So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. You see, you got, James is, is talking about you got to work. If, you're, if your faith is really to be demonstrated, if you're, what you believe is real, then there ought to be something somewhere that shows it. Now, we don't know what level that is, but there ought to be something somewhere. There ought to be some demonstration somehow, somewhere along the way. Now, we can't judge whether it it is or isn't in anybody else because we don't know where they came from. We don't know where they're headed. And as I've already said, you don't know what's really going on in their heart. You know, people can be, forgive me, they can be living like the devil and be tormented and incredibly by the Holy Spirit inside of them. And we look at them and say, man, there's no works there. You don't know what's happening right now. We don't know the work that's already been done. We don't know the work that might be done. And we don't know the turmoil that's going on right now. Anybody in here, you've ever fallen short of what you ought to be as a Christian? So, we, that's not what we're talking about here. God's trying to illustrate to us that if the, if the people who we come in contact are going to know that we are Christians and if they're going to know that we have faith, not just believe, because he said the devil believes and trembles, it's one thing to say, oh, I believe in Jesus. It's a whole other thing to say, I have faith. Because faith is an action. But there's so much confusion because here you got, you got James talking about works and faith. And then he's talking about the law of liberty. And boy, that's, that's the, the area that is so much addressed today. So, mis, so many misunderstand this phrase, the law of liberty. To many, it is a law of personal freedom to live as they please. But realize that God says, listen to what the verse says. It says that you're going to be, we're going to be judged by that law. Now, if it's just a law of personal freedom to do whatever we want to, how's that judge us? We, in effect, judge ourselves then. I mean, you know, we become the judge of our own lives. But God says, whatever this law is, it's going to judge us. 
This law, in the context of James 1 and 2, is a law that demands obedience to righteousness. If you go to James chapter 1, you find out that God is talking about, he talk, James chapter 1, talking about sin, and it's talking about that ultimately when lust hath, hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. So it's very intense, this chapters 1 and chapter 2, about a righteous life. The first part of James 1 deals with sin and how it's in the reality the result of our lust. Now listen to this. Lust is the antithesis of love. Lust has nothing to do with love. It's the complete opposite of love. But lust is the epitome of pride. So the law of liberty is based upon faith, not simply belief, but faith which is active rather than a passive belief or mental persuasion. I know that's, I hope this is making sense to you, but, but God says that we're to have faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith justifies, we know that we are being justified by faith, thereby we have peace with God. We know that we're saved by faith. But, I, but he's not saying that you have to do any specific work. He didn't outline anything. He's not saying that. He's not saying that we know through Scripture and comparing Scripture that we're saved by grace through faith. That Abraham was justified by faith. But God is saying when you really believe, that belief in Christ, that belief in Almighty God said to Abraham, I'm going to move from belief in him to faith. And you know how that was shown? He was willing to sacrifice Isaac. Now you say, okay, then by doing that, God finally saw that Abraham had true faith. Now watch this now. When, when we perform, when we do something we're not proving to God what we believe. We're proving to ourselves what we believe, and we're proving to the world what we believe. God already knows your heart. He knows you. You don't have to do anything to prove what you believe to God. He's saying, but if, you, if it's real inside of you, hey, even to yourself, you don't really believe it's real until you're willing to act. Does this make sense? I know I'm just maybe confusing everybody. The law of liberty is based upon faith, not simply belief, but faith which is active rather than a passive belief or mental persuasion. Verse 25 uh, makes it clear that the perfect law of liberty asks, even demands, a conforming to the law. Yes, it's based in love, but even love is not just a word or feeling, but an action. Look at verse 25 in, in, uh, in second, um, the, James chapter 2. It says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. Now look at this. You look into the perfect law of liberty, and watch this. That's kind of your belief. He says, then continueth therein. That's kind of your faith. All right? Uh, and, and he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You see, well, we'll get to it. The righteousness of God is active, and we are to participate in that righteousness. 
or that work of righteousness, he calls it. If we are to enjoy the perfect law of liberty and its blessings. James chapter 1, if you want to turn back a chapter, James chapter 1, uh, verse 20 and 21 says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. When we live in wrath and when we uh, live, and, and forgive me, but there's a whole lot of people that walk into churches and say, I believe in Jesus, but they're living in the wrath of man. He says, but worketh not the righteousness. He says, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. You know, he's saying when you come to Jesus and believe in him, the one of the things that we have to recognize is that we are a sinner. You know, sometimes it's amazing to me, but I, you know, and you, you that have gone out visiting and talking to people about Christ, you'll, you'll meet people that just won't accept the fact that they're a sinner. They can't, they can't accept that fact. They, they just, no, I'm not. I'm not a sinner. I, that always boggles my mind because I know me and I know my life, and I, I, it's hard for me to comprehend that somebody lives in this wicked world and they feel like they don't sin. But the fact is, is God says, you've got to come and you've got to accept the fact that you're, you are a sinner. Now, when we accept the fact that we are a sinner, what we're really saying is, what we have done is wrong against God. Now, if, if my child understands when she's little and I'm looking at her and I, and I look at her and I say, you did wrong. Do you understand what you did wrong? And she looks at me and says, I don't know what I did wrong. Uh, then we got to go back over this again. Why? Because if she doesn't understand what she's done wrong, then she's going to continue to do the wrong. But once she clearly understands what she has done wrong, it's not just so that she can understand that she's done wrong. It's in the understanding of what she has done is wrong that that will compel her not to do it again. It's such a tedious kind of thing that we somehow think that 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 and this and I almost hate to even bring going here because we're in a, an environment of such a work salvation. This is not a work salvation. This is a salvation that says, I believe that Jesus, I say this to people all the time, I witness to them, I say, look, I don't live for God trying to get to heaven. I live for God because he's given me heaven. And there ought to be something in me that looks at me and says, oh my goodness, I was living wicked, I was living in sin, I was living horribly, and God saw me, and he was willing to save me. Now, watch this, he loves me so much that even though I was in sin, he saved me. And watch this, even greater, even though I'm going to continue in some sin, because I'm still a sinner, he still loved me enough to save me. But here's what he's desiring. Once I see what my sin is, there ought to be some desire inside of me not to continue therein. Now, am I going to win that battle? No! Forgive me. As far as my eternity, it's already been won. But in this flesh... It might be a losing battle, but it's a battle I'm still supposed to fight. 
faith is active and this continues to be made clear by James chapter 1 verse 22 it says be, be you doers of the word and the hear, <coughs> and and not hearers only deceiving your own selves for if any any be a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man that beholding his natural face in a glass for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forget forgetteth what manner of man he was but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work this man shall be blessed and and I want you it hinges on this this man shall be blessed in his deed not this man shall be saved this man shall have eternal life this man shall be blessed the law of liberty is not freedom from responsibility and freedom from obedience to the word but rather the freedom received by living in and by the word of God you see God doesn't say that you have to live such, such a way to get freedom. He says that once you get saved, when you live desiring to put away the filth of the flesh, God says, watch this, that gives you freedom. That brings you freedom. That's why in verse 26 says, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. God says, look, your religion means nothing. You say you're a Christian, but if you can't even, you don't even control this tongue. If you're criticizing, condemning people, he said, to everybody out there, your religion is empty. It's empty. Folks, that's why, listen, in this age of social media, hey, please, please, please be careful what you write. I I told you this before, but it's worth repeating. I was taught, this is back in the day when you actually wrote things. I was taught that if you're upset and angry and you want to say something to somebody, write it down. Put it in a letter. Then you take that letter and you put it in a drawer. And then after seven days, you go back and you reread that letter. And you look at it and hopefully after seven days, you got enough sense to realize I probably was emotional and shouldn't say this. But if you still want to say it, put it back in the drawer and wait seven more days. You know why I was taught to do that? Because you don't need to say stupid stuff that you'll regret because once it's said, it's really hard to pull it back. And watch this, in this day and age of the social media, once you put it out there, it's eternal. And then we go, oh, I saw, uh, I, this, 
pastor this morning. He gets on there and he's saying, he's saying, listen, you know, I want you to be patient with me. He said, you know, I live all week so intensely preparing for this service, so intensely uh, uh, preparing all the things that go on for our whole program that when things go awry in the program, uh, you know, I just get angry. I wanted to write to him and say, thank you for confessing your sin to all of us in the entire world. And what you're really saying is you're trying to excuse the fact that you blew up on somebody at church today. Well, listen, dude, none of us would have known about the fact that you blew up on whoever it was at your church today, except you just stupidly told us. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Even that, we kind of read part of it and leave off part of it. But notice what he's saying. He's saying, first, it's, it's others living for others. Others who can't do anything for you. Others that can't benefit you. Because we're talking about the fatherless and the widows. He said, if you really have true religion, then you'll care about people that can't care for themselves. You'll care about taking care of the needs of others. He said, but let me throw it in also. And you also keep yourself clean, spiritually clean. Folks, we're in a generation that excuses sin. Now, none of us are perfect. Let me just keep stressing that. None of us are perfect. And, and I don't need you, some of you, immediately start to condemn yourself. Look, God doesn't condemn you. It, God just is saying to you, you can be blessed. You'll be a lot happier. You'll have freedom from guilt and remorse if you just will get away from it, if you'll finally say no to it, if you'll stop it. Pure religion found in the perfect law of liberty is a love that is action toward those in need and especially those that can't benefit you and to live clean, unspotted from the world. Let's see, I'm going to give you an illustration and, and, and see if we can kind of see just a little bit of a parallel. We go and we stand before a preacher, going to get married, and my wife and I, we go stand before a preacher and he says, you know, or any of us, he, he says to the man and the woman that they should love and honor and cherish each other till death do them part. He says that in the vows that they will love each other and stay committed to each other in sickness and in health and poverty and in wealth and, and promise to forsake themselves from all others till death separates them. Now, these are not guidelines or suggestions These are a covenant promise. This in many ways represents the laws of liberty. 
to follow them if you'll obey those simple commands inside the marriage vows allows you to be free, free from guilt, free from remorse, free from hurt and heartache, free from bitterness, pain, and vengeance. But those who say those vows, giving only mental agreement, may very well violate those sacred vows. They may say they have the liberty to do what they want. They may say the words of, co- uh, of commitment, but they were not words of faith. They were words of mental belief. And what's going to happen? They will find this freedom and liberty is in reality brought them captivity. It's going to bring them destruction. So these laws are there. Marriage vows are there. They're there not just words that we recite so we can get through the ceremony. They are a commitment. They are words of of laws, so to speak, that if we obey them, they're going to give us freedom from guilt and remorse and sorrow. They're going to give us incredible freedom. I've had freedom for 40 years this July. Freedom! Now, that, that's incredible, that, that amazing, wonderful freedom uh, that I've had. But I could have done it so many and say, well, you know, uh, you know, the marriage, oh, I don't even remember them. And yeah, with that, well, oh, yeah I, I, yeah, I think they ought to be in there. And yeah, go ahead and put that in there. And then, yeah, that's fine. And, 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 and it's, it, it's, it's always a part of the marriage vow. So I, I parrot them and I say them, but I don't really have faith in them. See, faith will drive me to action. And so... I immediately, I say, well, you know, those are there, but they're really not there for me. So I violate them. That doesn't bring me freedom. Now, they will find freedom and liberty and reality when you violate them, it's brought them captivity. And they believe it's freedom and liberty. It all hinges on the fact that they believe the words. They may have agreed with the words. They may have thought they were good words, but they were not words that became a part of their faith. Their inner belief system that goes deeper than the intellect. The crisis of Christianity is living, listen to this now. And, that, and I'm going to give you my own coined phrase here. But the crisis of Christianity is living the Christian life with a self-world view. There's much talk about the, the, the biblical worldview and the secular worldview. But I believe we have this kind of crossbreed of the Christian self-worldview. You see, usually we say the biblical worldview, secular worldview, but in reality, so much of Christianity has become Christian humanism. So many are like a crossbred animal, have the look of one and the personality of the other. 
this new breed in, the, in this Christian self-worldview. Yes, it, it's, it's simply we, we are Christian in our salvation, but we are self-governed in our life. Where so many are with the word of God, they mentally believe the words, they mentally say they agree with the words, they believe they are good words, but the words remain a mental belief to be cast aside when they are inconvenient or convicting or restricting to their self-worldview. Are you all okay with me this morning? I know this sounds harsh, but, but folks, this has been eating me up. Because this is weird. This is the crisis of Christianity today. We're living in, in this crossbred Christian self worldview. This crossbred Christian humanism. I'm telling you, many of our, much of our Christianity looks like we've crossed a bulldog with a chihuahua, and that's a pretty amazing looking animal. saw this little survey. This is Christians, evangelical Christians today. Here's the question. Do you believe God is perfect and cannot make mistakes? 65% believe God is perfect and cannot make mistakes. 25% believe this is untrue. 10% just don't know. Don't you love those, oh, no. I guess if God can do whatever he wants, I guess he can make mistakes if he wants to. Listen, listen. God answers specific prayers. 66% say God can answer specific prayers. 24% say no, he can't. 10% still say, I don't know. That 10% is just, I mean, they're, at least they're consistent. I don't know. God knows everything, but does not determine all that happens in the world. 60% says they agree with that. 30% say, no, I don't believe that. 11% now says, I don't know. Folks, this is where our problem is. Because 65% believe basically in God. The other 35% still go to church. They're in our churches everywhere. And can I tell you, here's the sad thing, even of the 65%, their mind says, I believe God is always right, always true, always correct. But in the living of their life, they don't believe his word. Because when push comes to shove up against their opinion and God's word, they're going to go with their opinion. So who are we? Who are we at Calvary Baptist Church? Because that, you know, I, I've made a point. You know, we do our live stream, but, you know, Brother Rogers knows, that, and I don't know exactly how it all works. All I know is that I'm able to get on it if, if I, you know, I can go back and look at the recordings, which I don't like to do because there's only one person that I can't stand to hear preach, and that's me. Now, I think all of you ought to love it. 
but it's really hard to watch me. But, but I, I told him, I said, now, I don't, I don't want to, you know, put it on Facebook Live. I don't want, I'm not here to try to, to correct the nation. God sent me to Calvary Baptist, to this community of Memphis, to try to make a difference in the years I have left. At some point, if you're ever going to experience the perfect law of liberty, you must come to the conclusion that the Word of God is God's Word. Listen to what I said. If we're ever going to experience the perfect law of liberty, then we've got to come to the conclusion that the Word of God is God's Word, not man's words. You see, we, we have, honestly moving in, we have a lot of Gnosticism moving into our, our realm. And we're not going to go into, you know, define that. But a lot of this is, is we still say we believe, oh, man, I believe every word of it. But we really don't believe God's word or the word of God is God's word, all of it. If we did, it would guide us rather than our emotions, rather than our desires, rather than our opinion. Our perfection does not bring us the perfect law of liberty. Our love and faith leads us to the perfect law of liberty. I am free because of the truth I am not set free from the truth. Would somebody get that, please? I am free because of the truth. I'm not set free from the truth. Greater freedom will only come from greater knowledge, which in knowledge of the Word of God. Greater freedom will only come from greater knowledge in the Word of God and that knowledge which results in greater obedience. That's our freedom. Now, I know, folks, I, you know, I, I love to use humor, and I love to be encouraging, and I know this is kind of straight in your face kind of things, but, folks, if, if, we, if we are really going to be set free as a people, each of us individually, we've got to strive day by day to believe the book. And watch this, not just believe that that black book that we hold up is the Word of God, but to open it up and actually see what God says and still believe it. You say, but I do believe it. Is it a belief or is it a faith? Because faith will drive us to action. And I have to admit, sometimes the, the Word of God is very convicting. Sometimes it's correcting. Sometimes it makes us face our shortcomings. But folks, don't throw up your hand in despair and discouragement and say, oh no, I've failed again. What you do, it's like anything. Listen, we got athletes out here. You, you, you blow a play. You don't throw your hands up and give up. You know what you do? You come back, regroup, and fight harder. 
And that's what we do in the Christian life. We come back, we regroup, and we fight harder. And can I tell you, sometimes we blew the play because I didn't know the play well and I went in on what I was supposed to go out. Hello, so we mess up. You know what I got to do? I got to go learn the play better. But I'm not going to lay down and say, oh, I, I failed again. I might as well give up. I'd never played my second game if I came to that. I would have shut down everything. Because I never played one game that I was perfect in, almost. (laughs) I mean, everybody else thought I was, (laughs) I hope. But uh, But you don't give up, you get up. But God has given us the opportunity for the perfect Law of liberty. And he said, if you really understand this mature, complete law of liberty, he says, then you'll understand as you eliminate the garbage, you have greater freedom. You know, if I come in from working in the yard in the summer, and I've been out there for about four hours. Um, I get greater liberty with my wife if I go shower first. <laughs> if I get cleaned up. I did this when we were young married. I, I grabbed a shirt. And I, and I, couldn't, I thought... I, it was, it was, I can't remember where it was, but for some reason I wasn't sure if it was clean or not. So I walked over to her and I said, hey, is this clean? Is this, because I can't smell. I can't smell nothing. It's a great way to live. Because I can just stink like crazy and don't know it. But I walked in and, and, I, and I said, does this smell okay? And she walked over so sweetly and she smelled right about right here. She went, no, it's not. But, you know, being clean gives us liberty. That's all he's saying. And he takes a couple of chapters just telling us, get away from that stuff. And it's all about this man shall be blessed. Not this man shall be saved. This man shall have eternal life. This man shall be blessed. You want to be blessed of God? Read through James 1 and 2 and understand. You get away from it. You get clean. It's a wonderful freedom. There's a wonderful freedom in a word that everybody hates, in holiness. There's a wonderful freedom in purity. That is not sinlessness. That's not sinless perfection. That's trying to eliminate the filth. And when you get dirty again, eliminating the filth and trying to keep from getting dirty. I hope this makes sense. Who are we is the real question. Who are we? Father, I pray that you bless this morning. Lord Jesus, I...
I pray, dear God, that you would help us as a people, as a church. Lord, we don't look at anybody else. We don't, we don't condemn anybody else. We don't uh, uh, judge anybody else because that's not what it's about. It's looking into our own heart, our own soul, and knowing whether we're fighting this battle for God or not. Whether we're trying to live a life of faith rather than just walking in the door saying, I believe. And that's enough. So much of our world today, just the Christian world, says, I believe in Jesus. But after that, it's all my desire. My design. Lord, this is just a promise of God that we can be blessed. Happy, that word is. If we just simply live strive for the perfect law of liberty father if there's anybody here that doesn't understand salvation doesn't know for sure they're going to heaven lord i pray that this has not been confusing at all before no man can work their way to heaven no man can ever be good enough to go to heaven no man can can ever uh, uh, live a, a life that somehow will will warrant heaven in, in the eyes of God. Lord, it's by faith, uh, by grace through faith, through Jesus Christ, through trusting Christ as our Savior and Him alone. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody that, that's struggling right now with assurance of their salvation or struggling with knowing for sure they're going to heaven, Lord, that they would find that out this morning. And if there's anybody like that where you still struggle with this thing of eternal life, struggle knowing whether, and maybe you believe that somehow you've got to live up to some standard and finally believe, and Lord, you, you, you found that you, no matter how hard you try, you, you are substandard. You always fall short, and, and it's become discouraging to you, and it's become uh, just, just almost to have you in dis, dis, distraught because you, you, you can't be all that you feel you need to be in order to earn your way to heaven, deserve heaven. If that's you, I pray that you would, we'd somehow help you this morning to see that that's not it, that God is not saying that in the book of James. He's saying that salvation is free, but if we really believe that, that something ought to take place in our lives, that we ought to have a desire to be clean. 